Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Ethan Huffman, and I'm joined today by Oakham Beltry. Hopefully by Richard later this afternoon after we watch, you know, a new playoff series start. And after we watch the Sixers, hopefully, win their series, in at least my preferences. Elgin, <laughs> it's nice to it's nice to hear from you today. Currently the video connection's odd. Can't see you right now, but it's nice to talk to you today, pal. Thank you, so I'm over here smiling because I enjoyed your little uh, one in the Sixers to win. But you never know, the lollipop superstar might take his team to the next round. Yeah, no, Trey Young's been incredible. Um, you know, I'll I'll never say that Trey Young doesn't have skills. I just can't stand to look at him, and I don't like his uh, his steez when it comes to playing basketball. Both those things frustrate me, and they will frustrate me because I I I I am the one who tweets foul foul drawing culture is a plague. I understand that fouls are part of the game, but the just inordinate attempt, like the, the unbasketball characteristic move. To just constantly try to find a contact like James Harden. Like I love James Harden. James Harden's a very aesthetically pleasing guy to me when he's not just dying to get fouled. But he does that. He did that a lot in Houston. Actually, I've I've enjoyed the transition to Brooklyn, even though they looked like a superpower because of how much freer the basketball was when he didn't have to do all the heavy lifting. And so you know, for Trey Young's sake, I hope someday uh, he can have the same option. Maybe maybe it's Bogdan getting a little bit better or whatever else, but I hope someday he has the same thing so he can quit with quit with that stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I know you and Richard will cover that series extensively after we find out who the winner is. But last night we were able to enjoy, a, I would say, a very good ending to a nice series between the Bucks and the Nets. Game seven was a very entertaining game seven that went into overtime with the Bucks coming out on top. Now, overall, Ethan, before we get to our stuff, I, I did enjoy the series. I enjoyed the star power. I enjoy kind of seeing, like, the back and forth. Like, this was a good, like, back and forth. I think, overall, you probably say you enjoyed the series as well. Oh, 100%. Um, Kevin Durant. getting to, Always getting to watch Kevin Durant when he's clearly um, at all of his powers, at all of his strengths, has has a lot of things going for him. is always a fun thing to watch. It's – it's some, some of the things he can do at his height and, like, with like you know his hand size being able to like you know still like make a pass when y- y- you don't think of him as a passer but he's getting so much better at that all the time like he he really you know put the team on his back and honestly the Nets should have won last night like I'll, I'll say that they they should have won last night some bad luck shooting in overtime and you know the Bucks did the same thing they didn't shoot very well in overtime either but at the end of the day that the net the Nets the Nets got the dub but that, that shot Kevin Durant hit to force that overtime. My goodness, like there's nothing you can do. It's just that, that if that goes in, it goes in. And just imagine if he would have been a few feet back, you know, with with with, with the consciousness of like doing so, so he would have shot it a little bit, you know, more firm. It it, it could have been over. Yeah, and he did think that it was a three. Like that's where he kind of saw the confusion on the replay. Like afterwards, he was like making a weird face. He did think I think afterwards it came out that he thought it was a three and he had won the game for them. Because I'm pretty sure there was like what like a second left. Yeah, like well, after was, that shot. I think I think point three was on the maybe point three was the overtime when they were trying to foul. It was, it was, okay, yeah. So that was it, it was basically, it was basically, it was done. Yeah, like, because yeah, because after that play, it was the timeout, and then when Brooke Lopez made that really weird play in the corner, everyone was like, "What play was that?" Yeah, see, Brooke Lopez completely forgot that there was a shot clock uh, when the ball was inbounded to him, 
And that ran it down to like six seconds approximately left in the game for then Kevin Durant to do what he did to extend the game. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So then, And then afterwards, it might have been the Giannis turnaround then. That yeah, came it was. The where he, he, it turned into a turnaround one-handed push shot. Um, but, like, you kind of know the Bucks don't have a lot. Like, they're going to sell out to get to Chris Middleton um, in a last-second scenario. Giannis is obviously fine. Like he's he's not going to shy away from the moment, but obviously his touch is is less than desirable um, from that range. Yeah, but so let's get into the series now. This series, as as good as it was, we did not have uh, the Nets at full strength. And Kyrie, we know Kyrie with that ankle injury. Um, he eventually, after I mean, from it was Game Four, I believe, right? The ankle injury came in Game Four. So then he was out for the rest of the series. And James Harden, yeah, he did come back at game five. After being injured, was like 15 seconds into the series. He came back, but I think you and I watching it, I think we've all commented on it, the hamstring was never fully healed. And he just came out and said, I think he said it was a grade two hamstring uh, strain. I don't know what that means necessarily, the grades on hamstring injury. Oh, it's just a percentage breakdown. So anytime it's a a strain – or a sprain, I can't remember which is which right now, um, for the medical term- terminology people out there. But it's basically, you know, grade one is like, it's like stretched out to where it's starting to tear. Grade two is somewhere in between. And then three is like, it's torn enough that it's no longer doing anything for you, which was how my ACL was. Ooh. Yeah, and we know like with hamstring injuries, because I've gotten it where I've never had a hamstring strain, but I've gotten it where my hamstring's gotten tight. And agility... Lateral movement is the biggest thing that I noticed, like a quick change of direction. It's the biggest thing I mean, You can see Jim Harden was struggling with that. And people, as they should have, called out the Bucks for not attacking him. Like, you see, like, I compared it to, you see how the Bucks didn't attack James Harden compared to how Devin Booker saw Anthony Davis. He's like, oh, you're injured and you're going to try, try to play this game. Let's see how, uh, how healed you are and pretty much destroy them on that one. But I think I'm on, I mean, I know. Injuries are a part of basketball, but I do believe if if the Nets would have had the same injury luck as the Bucks and had their two other guys fully healthy, that the Nets would have won this series with the way that things were. I did pick the Bucks to win, but I do think seeing how the way the Nets played, I do think they would have pulled it off. How do you feel about that one? Oh, yeah, I, I, I can't think anything else, right? Like, I mean, Kevin Durant had to go – was going nuclear, but he could he, he theoretically could have done that even easier with with two other healthy stars on on the team. Um, you know, I, I'm just looking at the the stats for the series right now, and, and James Harden having 10 points per game, um, and I mean I know one of those games is deeply affected because he literally played one minute, um, but regardless, like his percentages, 30% from the field, 19% from three, like. You, someone, you know, might, you know, without all the context, might look and be like, oh, look at James Harden choking in the playoffs. But, like, the the guy was just out there. Like, he, I thought he looked a lot better in Game 7. Um, Definitely. But maybe, maybe it was just an offensive-based thing where he's like, I know what I can do now. I know how to use, still use these screeners and stuff to kind of get a little bit more separation to where they have to over-commit to recover, and then we have passing lanes. And that that's how I felt about his transition through the series, but at the end of the day, like no, he was he was not himself, and we we all know it, and we know we know that if him and Kyrie Irving are out there, it's it's not like it's not like, like I said the whole thing. Like Richard and I talked about when the Bucks blew Game Five. We said the the Bucks are getting 
like they're getting beat up, like even on the offensive end. And this is not a defensive team. And it's not like just because you're not playing Kyrie and not playing James Harden at his full potential does not make them a good defensive team just because those two guys are out of the lineup. There's no excuse for the Bucks to be, have been a, as bad at offense as they were for most of the series. But yet they were. They were a bad offensive team for a series. And that's honestly unacceptable given the personnel of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I always think of it too. I mean, you kind of saw when Kyrie went out, the Bucks lucked out because they were able to – I don't want to say hi, Brooke Lopez, but put him on Bruce Brown and kind of keep him there where I think where you have a healthy Kyrie, it's harder to do that. And, and you kind of, you'd know, like you and I both know, if you had those guys healthy, um, you would see more of them hunting for those mismatch along, along the perimeter. And you can tell with James Harden, you did see him drive the ball a few times, but you and I both know like James Harden has a typical one-on-one where he's, he's almost, I think almost every time he's guaranteed to get by his defender when he's healthy where he can also set it up for a lob or three-pointer, get fouled or do like a floater. And you didn't see that. Like, I think I saw like he made like an and one play in game seven. I think it was against Holiday. He made a few, he made a few plays, we got fouled, but you and I could tell he, he struggled to get around his defender would need to. It was more like he, I felt like he was just muscling through, which makes sense. I mean, if you don't have the lateral movement, James Harden is still, he's still a solid player, but it's dunk, but the injuries happen. But I know injuries are a part of the game. I mean, Teams got to adjust. Like that's just the way it is. You can't predict when they're going to happen, and you just got to go with it and move on. It, it's it's like throwback to the mid two thousands Rockets, right? Like you're you're built around Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming, two guys who were supremely talented, but also got hurt a lot. And so it was no shock that every every off postseason, every every like stretch of the regular season, like it was Yao or Tracy having a tough go of it. Usually Yao towards when they were actually good enough to do something, but it's just bad breaks. You know, you, you, you sign up Kyrie Irving, you sign up James Harden, like both those guys, like James Harden's been super du- durable and honest, but like over the last couple of years, he's, you know, you always see all that, you know, I, I don't, I can't remember what that, t- that tape is called, but <laughs> I can't ever say this word either. Consesiology tape. He's always he's always all taped up. He's all he always carried a heavy load for a long time. You sign Kyrie Irving like he he's a guy who is is is, is a little fragile. Like he plays a tough game because he's he's so small and and go is so willing to go inside and bang with you know either posting up or uh, crossing up and getting everyone off balance. And it's just a bad break that you know Giannis did the zaza, but it's it's it wasn't malicious because it's just under the baskets how things happen sometimes. And by the way, for you salty Celtics fan, this is not karma for Kyrie stepping on your logo. Because some some fans were saying it, and even Big Baby Davis, like if now if I ever go if I were an NBA player, I would step on that logo. It's it's no. it's on site with me and Big Baby Davis. That guy's such a clown. Cl- clown active. Call him Ronald McDonald from now on. All right, I, I, I I'll, I'll take the beating. I'll I'll I'll, po- I'll I'll poke him in the nose. I'll take the beating. I love He's, it. That, that guy's a clown. Take the beating and go ahead and sue him for a couple mil. I'll, now, I'll try. I don't know if I'll get it because I will poke him in the nose first. Yeah. Now, what also didn't help the Nets out, Joe Harris. Like, you see this guy. We we know his regular season stats speak for themselves how good of a shooter he is. But he just stunk. Like, even when, when I saw him even missing those free throws in game seven, I'm like, because, you know, good shooters, three-point shooters, besides a Bruce Bowen from back in the mid-2000s, normally – they have a good shooting stroke at the free throw line, but he was not hitting anything. And, and Ethan, I saw it a few times when he had those open threes. I was like, this could break the game open for Brooklyn or put him in the lead for good. 
and those just like went out. I think he he made like one. I forgot. I saw him make one three pointer. I don't know if he made another one, but but throughout the series, he just had like his stat lines were rough. It was like single digit field goal made with double digit field goal attempted. Like that's normally what it was, and it was it was not good. And I don't know. Like he didn't seem injured. It didn't seem like the Bucks were putting extra pressure on him. If anything, he was getting good looks. I saw he was getting a lot of good looks. Yeah, he, he definitely got some good looks. He was getting hounded quite a bit off ball. They, they, they definitely put a lot of focus on minimizing his attempts. That makes sense, yeah. On a regular basis. Now, I I, I would lean this towards his his hyper change in a role. Because he was the guy. He like, Honestly, the Nets didn't have him move. Like He obviously is moving. They're coming off pin downs, et cetera, et cetera. But like, there's a lot of times this season where it would just be Kyrie or James, you know, ISO, ISO. Maybe a late screen from Claxton, and then so they'd have an easy path to the hoop. They drive the side of the side of Joe Harris. Help comes. They kick to Joe, and Joe hits a wide open three. Like a lot of his shots this year, because of the supreme talent of his teammates, including a Blake Griffin, who is a great short roll passer and a, a good facilitator, and all all these things we know about Blake Griffin. Not to mention his limitations elsewhere. A lot of Joe shots were coming without a lot of effort to create them. This series, he had to run off screens constantly. He had to always be moving to get anything going. So I'm guessing, you know, those suicide drills were catching up to him fatigue-wise. And, and they were concentrating on him as the, the one other guy that they were not going to let get off. I mean, I'm looking right here at this this line. Landry Shamit didn't play very much. But he was the guy who was getting the Joe Harris looks. And then he, he shot 42%, um, making... Uh, six of 14. So he didn't get as many looks, but he was a guy who was then getting those Joe Harris looks, you know, playing off Kevin Durant and also Joe Harris, who had to do all the running. It, I, I think it's just a cumulative effect of some fatigue from having to be a little bit more engaged. Um, and in a day, like he, his role changed a lot and not everyone can be Mike Miller. Not everyone can win rookie of the year and bury threes with no shoe in the NBA finals. Not everyone can be a Kyle Korver, just run around and do what he needs to do. So that's and that's something where he, who knows, it might be something where he works on the off season, and even just, just looking at overall. I mean, we knew that their role players are not going to have as much help when you put all your chips in with three superstars. Normally, your bench doesn't fill out as well as you want it to be. A la, I mean, the Miami Heat experienced that when they started their run. I mean, they're kind of like, who do we have? Oh, Joel Anthony. All right, we're going to war with Joel Anthony. Kept investing in centers and. <laughs> That was the last thing they needed because they had a, the best one of the best starting centers on their team, and Chris Bosh just didn't know he was a center yeah. yet. Yep, having Dexter Pittman coming in to do a hard foul on Lance Stevenson. Don't don't think I forgot about that. Dexter don't. Pittman, I, I I will never forget. But Dexter Pittman, that's a it's a name you haven't heard in some time. I know it's a thing about Jarvis Fernando. I don't think oh. he was on he was not he wasn't on that Heat team, but just I'm I'm thinking of Nish Nish Heat bigs now, and it's got me excited. Yeah, but going going back to this Nets game, I mean, I think looking at it, yeah, with Joe Harris, we you and I both saw the struggles, but I mean, I think you saw just shots weren't falling. I, I think someone brought up a stat: Kevin Durant missed six shots in overtime, and and that overtime game, like the overtime portion of this game, like there wasn't much scoring on both sides. Like let's be clear, it wasn't just like the Nets suffered. Like I think like they were neck and neck until like the Bucks finally got like a bucket, like with like a minute and something left. Like, but it was just like miss after miss on both sides. And we'll get to the Bucks. Like for me, like I felt like it was more a coaching issue on the Bucks side compared to a, 
a battle of attrition on the net side. But with Joe Harris, I mean, you just a few threes. And I think he had a chance to make a three in overtime, too. It was the top of the key three. And I was like, oh, if he makes this, it would be really big. And he missed it. And almost like in me, I kind of felt like I don't think it's going to go the Nets way. Like when I saw that three go out. But I felt like, though, Ethan, kind of almost transitioned to the next topic. I felt like Coach Bud bailed out the Nets throughout this series, not just this game. So many times with the way that he ran his offense and the way that I wanted him to be more assertive with Giannis in the in talking to Giannis about his shot selection. Like you and I probably saw so much like fadeaway shots from Giannis, shot put shots from Giannis, and we we're like, why? If you just and we talked about this before, pod, if you just get like a nice like mini hook, your long arm like maybe like a Gobert might be able to block it, but no one's really gonna be able to block that. Just get that. But I see it with Coach Bud, and it kind of frustrates me when I see him and what he's doing. Even like even something as simple as like, hey, Brooke Lopez, he has a solid post game. Even if they put Kevin Durant on him, he's or even like a Blake Griffin, he's probably gonna be able to make a few buckets off of of a hook shot. And like I clearly remember Brooke Lopez from back in the days before he got in his five out offense, he would kill people in the in the post, but that's what like makes it so hard. Like it seems like the Bucks have one of the best teams left. But it also seems like they have one of the worst coaching left. Yeah, me and Richard, at least I, I was like, you know, really hard on about Brooke posting up a little bit on the, on the most recent pod. Um, I'm a little less bullish on that at this point, just because I, I did see them send a, a quick double. And Brooke is just apparently not ready for double teams down there anymore. Like he can't make the pass. He thinks he's going to get the foul call. But unfortunately, like for Brooke, he's not a star player anymore, even for his like and like in any sense and so like i, I saw a couple of times where he kind of whipped through some contact and got nothing in terms of a whistle and i was like well, that's kind of tough because he saw the double coming like waited for them to fully get there and then just caught them when they came like getting contact threw up a hook had no chance of going in but he was trying to draw a foul and it, i felt i kind of felt bad for him there it's like oh you're, you're just not getting that uh i'm the best player on a team call anymore and so I'm, I'm a little less bullish on Brooke posting up, even though I was like, if you can't get good offense and they're playing smalls, you need to. Uh, but I agree. I think I think Bud's Bud's biggest problem is they don't have that one guy who really hunts his own shot particularly well. Like Chris Milton, game six, goat, killed it, absolutely hunted his own shot. But he need he he still needs screener help. Like he needed help getting initially loose, and then when the team's over recovering. Then you can kind of you know put him in the in the cycle and, and get to the shot he needs. Uh, Drew Holiday comes up with some some huge baskets uh, down the stretch, which I love to see because they need one of those two to do it because Giannis can't get his own shot all that well. It, we, I think you would notice in Game Seven, Giannis was getting a lot of buckets in transition. He would get, he'd get either the the rebound himself and push, or he would you know call for it. They get the rebound. He called for it at his own three-point line, and just even if it wasn't always an opportune moment, would really put pressure on the defense to see if he could get all the way to the rim. But he he looked way more in control as well. Like he, if if it wasn't there, he would pull out, get it back to Drew or or Chris, and and start running an offense. And that's the key, Elkin. This team's got to run some semblance of an offense because when they get when they get when they go iso ball, you know, Giannis has no bag, as everyone will joke. And Drew Holiday just he's he's not uh, he's not got like that 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 burst and he's not got that super strength to kind of go through and around people. And Chris Milton's the same way. And, and for what's worth, even with a 
a pretty quick release is is kind of like right off his forehead so it's not like he's going to shoot over people not to mention kevin durant got that assignment a lot and no one shoots just dead over kevin durant yeah and you can see too like on I, I think I did think Drew Holiday also did lose a good amount of confidence in the series because shots that I had seen him make before, he just wasn't ma- like shots weren't going in, and I I know that sucks for him, but shots were not going in at all. But you're right, like there were so many times where it's not just ISO too, Ethan. It's those quick ISOs where it's just like they take five seconds off the shot clock. It's like like that's not helping them out at all because a lot of times it's going to be a longer shot, which means what long rebound and gives the other team a good opportunity to run on them. And that's what's frustrating. And you kind of see it where – and someone brought – I forgot which podcast I was listening to. It's almost like Coach Bud is like, we're going to play our style no matter what. doesn't matter what the other team is doing. We're going to play our style. We're going to stick to it and not make adjustments compared to – if you look at the most recent um, series on the West, that finish with the Clippers and Jazz, where you have one coach who made a lot of adjustments that helped his team when they lost one of his big players. Go ahead, Ethan. I, I was going to say, like, at the end of the day, it's – like what? What? What was going from the best defense in the league the last few years, which was a exclusively drop? We, we, we'll we'll talk about it in the Utah series that it doesn't work a hundred percent. It's not foolproof. It can be the best defense in the league, but it's not foolproof for the playoffs. What was the point of tinkering with your defense all season to lose on that end if you're not going to do it as much in the postseason? And it's the same thing for offense. It it, it can't just be Giannis high screen roll and Giannis isolation because you're you're now playing against teams that are good. I mean, I know the Nets aren't a great defensive team. They're not good, honestly. But the effort level's there now. Everyone's always they're going to communicate. There's there's no it's March and we're a little tired. Let's uh let's take it. Let's take a little bit of a break. And uh and the, the people are are helping. People are rotating. And when all you got to do is load up against Giannis and he's a good pass. He's an okay passer, but he's like not. When Giannis picks the ball up, you, you, you kind of know before he like gets off the ground what he's doing, because it's it's I'm either going through you, or I'm gonna pass to the corner. It, there's not a lot of creativity there, and that's something that he needs to work on. I think I think there's a, a a jump stop he needs to add to his game so he can stop his forward momentum, avoid charges, go into a little you know like a little push. It'd be basically a hook shot from, you know, six feet away. But you can't quite get to the rim. Jump stop, little push shot. And also, that opens you up to sling it back to the top of the key for threes where the, when the defense is rotating to those corners. Like, there, there's that that, that, like, that kind of, you know, stop and pop in, like, in the restricted area almost is going to be really, really good for him if he can get that body under control. It's going to open up more passing lanes for him. It's going to make him a better offensive player. But it's easy to load up against Giannis with his current bag. And that, and that's what I don't like is because they keep running that high pick and roll with Giannis as a ball handler. And any person who's going to roll, the defense is like, we're just going to put two people on them for a little bit as they roll. And Giannis is just like, all right, I might take a three. I might not do anything. That's what frustrates me. It's almost like, I'll say this, Ethan. It's almost like some of the same things that frustrated me when I saw Bam in the first series against the Bucks. Like there were a few times in which the Bucks were kind of just like, all right, Bam, we need to see more moves out of you. And like, we're going to give you that space out there. And like, and you kind of saw, you might've seen it as a Heat fan. I know we always find a way to bring up the Heat here on this podcast, what we do, but like, you kind of see where like, you want Bam to be more creative with that ball. Like, all right, what other moves do you have? And like, Bam does have the advantage of, he's still young. I mean, he's younger than Giannis. 
you can develop some stuff. But you're right, like having that like mid that mid post game, and that's what I said. Like I said, Giannis needs to look at almost like Shaq footage from back in his days. Like people will often take so many charges on Shaq because they're like Shaq's gonna just pop through you. Shaq did not have the most finesse in a post game. Like he wasn't Tim Duncan, he wasn't Hakeem Olajuwon, but Shaq knew like he had a short hook shot. Like even if Giannis can do an imitation game of like Tim Duncan, like obviously Tim Duncan, obviously one of the best players of all time, that would even help him out because Tim Duncan never developed a three point shot. But towards the but but we saw though what did he do? He did make some big threes though, right? Remember Tim Duncan eventually made some big threes, but he wouldn't take a lot of threes. Kind of like how you said, Tim Duncan might like be like I might take one or two threes if I like absolutely need to, but he was like mid range, like he was like 15 feet in. That's where I'm gonna stick to. And he knew his spot. And if Giannis was like, I need to figure out my spot, that would be good. And I, th- I think that's something that it's a hit, it's his problem that he has to figure out. Like, what move can I add in the post? Like, you brought the jump stop. That's a great move to have because everyone knows Giannis is going to try to bully his way through. And then a mini hook shot. If you have that mini hook shot there, who's going to block it? And then that's going to open him up. You're, open up all the movement around him. Open up more spacing. But until he does that, though, it's going to be a lot easier to contain him where you see a guy with such physical talent. You should, you think to yourself, it's crazy that we're talking about him like this. And he did have 40 points, but as you pointed out, a lot of it was in transition and kind of just like, I mean, if you're a guy with that type of body, it's not going to be hard to get from one end of the floor to another. We give him props for what he did, but you almost feel like he still has another step in his development. And who knows if we'll ever do that or if the player that we see now is who we have. It could be that Giannis is just like, this is who I am. I want to be a three-point shooter. I'm going to work on my three-point. And that could just be his mentality. I want to be a shooter. And no one's telling him on that team. It's like, no, you need to get your butt down there and just develop this. Save that shooting for two or three times a game. But that's my speed. Yeah, keep him honest. If you make it, keep going, I guess. But he he's not he's not, he's not the guy who needs to be shooting. Like it, It's fine. You need to be willing, Ben Simmons. But you don't have to shoot. Because you, you can still... Back your way in, make make a post move. They're gonna react, and then you have passing lanes. Yeah, and and there were many times. Obviously, Blake Griffin backed up, gave him his space, let him shoot it. But there were several times, and I saw this compared to when the first game started. This is something that Giannis went away from. I know the Nets ended up winning game one, but in the very first game, Blake Griffin was backing up like he did towards the end of the series. But if you go back and look at highlights from those, Giannis actually met him. He like went in there and actually tried to do some moves to get into the lane. And he had success doing that because Blake Griffin couldn't keep up with all that. But then he's eventually got away from it. But at the end of the day, though, the Bucks did come out as a series winner. And they'll face the winner of the 76ers and Hawks game from today. And for me, I do think in the East, like I think they're the favorite. I think they can be either the Sixers or the Hawks. But that remains to be said because we we did say the Hawks were going to lose to the Knicks, and here they are now. They could have they could have closed the series out in Game 6, but they find themselves in Game 7. But I'll let you and Richard cover that later on tonight. But I'm ready to go out to the West, Ethan, if you're ready to go out West. Yep, ready to go out to the West, Clippers, Jazz. And just another reminder, the defense doesn't matter, right? That's why the Hawks are <laughs> advancing. That's why the... That's why the Nets are so good. That defense doesn't matter. And that's why the Jazz, even though the best regular season defense in the league, from what I understand, um, best defensive player in the league, from what I hear, um, they're out with a team with no center. And maybe that's the reason. Maybe no center is the way to go. And I'm pretty sure they lost, was it four games in a row as well? 
Yes. Yes, it was. Four games in a row went up 2-0. Two of them and... without Kawhi. Yep. And But let's get to the Clippers. Let's get into some props. I'll, I'll say this. Big shout-out to the Clippers bench and the role players. Reggie Jackson, he went from a guy after – he went from a guy that after the bubble, he just – I don't know if you read that story, Ethan, where he said he was thinking about quitting basketball after the bubble. I, I, I would have been there with him, man. You, you, <laughs> you, 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 you leave the Pistons, you, you take the minimum, and you played bad. So you know your money's you know your money's drying up. And honestly, it would be nicer to have that memory of when you were scoring 17 and 17 points per game and six uh, – Six assists, then what? Whatever that was, the buckle was in the bubble. Just because Paul George is your friend and he puts you on a puts you puts you in a bad spot to underperform. But to see him the way he did those last few games, you can tell. And a lot of it is, I know basketball players is a confidence game, and you can see that confidence in him. He uh, was, and we're gonna bring this up a lot. He was picking on Defensive Player of the Year, Gobert, a lot. Like there were there were several times where they got the switch to liberally get Gobert, and Gobert knew this, and he would back up into the key didn't matter like there was a few times Reggie Jackson would just like drive it in on him and it did not matter and I liked what he was doing just being aggressive even Morris gave him a good game he was being aggressive too and we can't go without talking about one Terrence man like that game in game six like you see his first half stats it's like oh this guy you know he's doing chipping in like I think it was like 10 or 15 points and you're like that's that's not bad and then that third quarter he was just I mean, that's what you needed, though. You needed a guy with energy because you kind of knew that Paul George was going to get like give you a solid game at this point. But Terrence Mann, that game, I think, it almost seemed like Utah didn't know what to do. And the Clippers had that going with, like, when you have, like, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, like, those type of role players going. And then Patrick Beverly making threes, acting like he's Steph Curry. Ugh. I think I think the most impressive thing about this Terrence Mann bit is it's you know, one of Elkins' dearest friends. And also the fact that that Terrence Mann was the one guy on the court that can't shoot, right? This this Clippers team was a was you know honestly some end of season focus from breaking a record for highest three point per- percentage for a season. We're talking about beating the the Golden State Warriors, and then also uh, I think it was the Hornets back when the three point line was a little bit shorter. Like they were honestly a little bit of focus and a little less David Oturu kickouts. Uh, you know, kick, kicking out when he was trying to score all those post hooks, and and they they probably get it if they weren't tanking at the end of the season. They had a good chance. This is one of the best three point shooting teams. They're losing Kawhi, so so Terrence Mann has to step up, and he buries it. He's he's the worst shooter that gets gets burned for the uh, the Clippers. It's not Zubac. It's Zubac's the worst shooter, and he he out here just he 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 broke he broke the game for him. And if you get that kind of contribution from a guy like Terrence Mann. It's hard. It's hard not hard not to win. Get a confidence boost like that. Yeah, and I and I wanted to look up something too, Ethan. I don't know where I would find this stat, and I don't know. If, I don't even know if you can look it up on Stathead. I don't think in a playoff. Um, I don't think of any playoffs have I seen so many twenty point leads just lose like that. I mean, maybe that's a. It's obviously an evolution three point game. People use people have the three point line, but because down twenty five, you and I have seen the Clippers for many of years, and we know that's normally when the Clippers are like. That's it for us. I mean, you, I don't know if you watch. I had the privilege of watching in 2015 the Josh Smith game where Josh Smith and like Corey Brewer were making shots, and the Clippers thought like thought like, oh, we're going. And I'm, and I'm sure for you as a Josh Smith stand, you're like, yes, sir. But like, this is 
But like kind of to see like the opposite of this where the Clippers come back. And obviously, I mean, if you're if you're the Jazz, you want Terrence Mann to take those shots. That's why a few of those corner threes that he had, he was wide open. Because the Jazz were like, let's pick your poison. Who's the worst three-point shooter besides Zubac if he's in? And it was Terrence Mann. But if he's hitting them, he has to keep the defense honest. And that's something that kept happening where you didn't see. And it could have just – and I think, too, also, too, I, give pro- I do give props to Ty Lue for kind of just – he put a lineup up there that he knew – for some reason, somehow, the Jazz were just struggling to figure out. Like, he put that small lineup out there, and the Jazz were like, we're going to stick with Gobert out here. We're not going to match up fully to your guys' small lineup. And it's one of those, like, all right, whose matchup is going to win? And the Clippers, like you said, best, one of the highest. I think they I think they still ended up with the best three-point shooting percentage this year, though, right, compared to the other yeah, teams? Yeah, for the season. For the yeah, teams. Yeah, this for this the season. I mean, you had Batum make some big threes. Obviously, you had other guys making big threes, but... It just seemed like for the best defense in the league, I didn't see those adjustments. I don't know if you saw something different that maybe the Clippers exposed, Ethan, or... Well, the tricky tricky thing about it is, like, both teams shot good three, from three. So it's not like, you know, like, that, that that lead was built by threes in the first half from the Jazz, including, I believe, a, a, a Jordan Clarkson stretch where he... I mean, he wasn't hitting all threes, but he was just carrying the team offensively. He had 17 straight bit. points, by the way. 17 yeah. straight points. That's what I'm saying. Is like <laughs> he, he, he clearly had something cooking for himself. But, like, that's just... Like we talk about the, the, the three... Like, three utilization of the NBA, and, like, it, it can come back the other direction really quickly. But, like, you know, the, the Jazz shot... Uh, 40, 47%, I believe, from three oh. in that game. And Oof, the, the, that's not the, bad. the Clippers shot 51. It's like, that, it, it, those it, it are ridiculous of, numbers. That's absurd. I, it's almost like when you get wide open threes, you shoot a better percentage. Like, it, it's not, it's not the whole thing about Terrence Mann getting hot. Is It's literally like you said, hey, take some warm up jumpers and see if you can get hot. I, and this is an NBA level player. This is the best player on his college team, and he's guaranteed to have been the best player on his high school teams, unless he went to a prep academy. So you're talking about a guy who has been on a stage before and had to perform, and you're and you're giving him warm up jump shots. I I don't care. Like his shot's not broken. It's not ugly. It just he he doesn't play all the time, and like you're not gonna. It's hard to it's hard to be an NBA three point specialist. I'm telling you, warm-up jump shots are going to go in. By the way, this this season, as the worst shooter on the team, and now for his career because of how much more he played this year than his rookie season, he's shooting 40% for his career. And he, I, we know that's probably a little rosy based on his, <laughs> his minutes. Yeah. But the point is, even in, in the small sample size of one game and also his entire career, he shot well. Just because he's the worst shooter on the team doesn't mean he's bad. And that's just something that even sticks out to me. And I also say this, Ali Crow, PG, he did step up really, really huge for them. Coming through, started off with that game five. Like that game five, he had a monster game. And then game six, uh, looking at it, what he, even obviously like game six wasn't like, he, he didn't need the same, the same type of performance, but he did provide a lot of stability for them. And got his rebounds, did some creating for them. And you kind of look at it where it's like, oh, PG like stepped up in a big way. Because I think most people were like, oh, Kawhi's out. There's no way PG's going to step up. Like that was a sentiment. Like if we're being honest, like, yeah, that was, but he really stepped up and I got to give him props for that. 
And it seems like I think the Jazz mainly had Royce O'Neal as the primary defender on PG. And it seemed like Royce O'Neal just couldn't do anything to deter PG. And PG got almost anything that he wanted. And the, and these are just and these are just things where I'm just like, like the Jazz have to have known. And maybe I need to go back and look at the game film more. The Jazz have to have known with Kawhi being out, PG's going to get more of the focus on offense. So why don't you cater your defense to it? But like you said, Ethan, eventually, if you leave guys open and focus on certain guys, guys are going to start hitting three-point shots, which is what happened. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's, it's important to point out Ty Lue's adjustment to understand the weaknesses of the Jazz and, and focusing more on the small ball stuff. Because, you know, Zubak was getting burned different points of the series, and Zubak's not a bad center. He's just not a center to play when there's a guy like Rudy Gobert on the court. So, like, the, the Clippers, you know, going away from a, a Rajon Rondo, who, while has been a better shooter later in his career, was not meant for this series when wide-open threes are going to be something you have to be willing to take, and Rondo's probably going to want to dribble in and try to find someone else to shoot. Like, Ty Lue just making the adjustments throughout the series, and then also, like, playing with a hand behind his back. The best player on his team, not playing the last two games. And honestly, team super performed well. I, I was just re- rechecking the stat sheet. The Clippers had six turnovers. Wow. Six. That is ridiculous. And Elgin, I, I, if you want to talk about Ty Lue, go ahead right now. Um, if not, I want to get into a little bit of the the Gobert slander. Now, let's go ahead and get to Gobert. Because I, I okay. think you and I kind of covered what we saw from Ty Lue. So... Here's the thing, Elkin, and this is that, that, that turnover number is what I really want to focus on. I understand that numerically, you're always going to have way more of an effect from a big man keeping all layups away, in theory. Because um, you, if you don't take a layup, you can't make a layup, right? That's the entire, kind of Gobert's entire deal. Layups are the easiest shots. That's what you want. You want layups and dunks, free throws and threes. That's what you want. And Gobert is good at not fouling. On those kinds of shots, he's good at preventing them, good at blocking them. Um, so it leaves the three, which is, you know, okay. Like the the Bucks, you know, buoyed the best defense in the league, the last or one of the best two defenses with with also the 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 Jazz here. Off that premise is we'll we'll, we'll let people shoot threes, but no one's getting layups. Here's the thing, and why. Uh, perimeter defenders are going to be undervalued for, I think, eternity at this point. Because guard, apparently guard defense doesn't matter. That's what I've been told for anyone who wants to stand for <laughs> Trey Young. That's true. Anyone who wants to stand for even a Kyrie Irving is that guard defense doesn't matter. And I get it because you can make a mistake and it can be protected by your big. But when you're, when you only have six turnovers, you know, you know what that tells me, reads to me based on the way I was watching the game, Elkin? It's there's not, not enough ball pressure. Not enough you know, making them earn the dribbles. Think about what P.J. Tucker, I mean, P.J. Tucker shocked me in this series. I did not think anyone could, go, like, give Kevin Durant that much just frustration. But he, he pushed up against the line, gave a lot of ball pressure, had some Patrick Beverly tendencies, dare I say, and just just caused, caused a nuisance. It was, a, it was an irritant. And the Jazz defense doesn't have irritants. Donovan Mitchell has too much. Too much of an offensive load. Conley's getting old, and he's very small. Ingles is just, you know, he's a trash dog, and he, he, he plays good angles, but he's not out here causing turnovers. And perimeter defenders cause turnovers. At, at, if you're lucky, a block, you get the rebound. It's just... It's where my frustration's at, and the fact that, like, I, I know Ben Simmons 
didn't win defensive player of the year, and, I, and maybe shouldn't have for whatever reason. Some people would say, but I'm I'm going to continue looking at it and say Ben Simmons causes turnovers. He just takes the ball from people. Kawhi Leonard back in the day just causes turnovers, takes the ball from you. Draymond Green protects the rim and takes balls from people. Like it's just you got these guys who can really do it all, and and it, it just frustrates me, Elkin, that because a guy buoys a bunch of bad defenders for a regular season when you play teams like the Cavs, you play teams like. I was about to say the Hawks, but the Hawks are good now. But you play those teams. You play the Timberwolves. And even though the Jazz lost to the Timberwolves, I think, three times this year, um, you, you, play, you play bad teams. And that center shuts down every bad player in the league. But you get good players. You see a Chris Paul. You see a, a LeBron James. You see all these guys who say, Go to Rudy Gobert can't check me. And that's all that matters. It, yeah. Numerically, he's always going to overperform all of these guys. But can he put the clamps on, or can he help everyone else put the clamps on? Maybe not. Maybe not. And I think you and I brought it up. Obviously, Richard brought it up as a regular season award, but you and I brought it up. If he's a defensive player of the year, we're like, we don't want our defensive player of the year being a defense liability in the playoffs when it really matters, because that's what happened. I think towards the end. Ty Lue and the Clippers actively hunted him whenever they could. Like I knew that's when I knew something was like the jazz just didn't have it in them or the defense was not the same where I saw guys like, man, it was not just man, but Jackson, Paul George, like everyone was just like, where's Gobert, wherever he is, that's where we want to be. And they knew that. And you never saw the counter with the jazz. And as you were talking about perimeter defense, I was trying to think who is the jazz best perimeter defender. Like obviously you, people might think Royce O'Neal because he's the one who got the Paul George assignment. But, but you look at other teams, like they have a guy, like you said, who's going to get you like some resemblance of turnovers. Like think about like, think about the teams that are left, like in the West conference finals, you have a team like the Clippers who, when they were healthy, you had a Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Even someone like the Suns, you can have like a Jay Crowder. You can have Mikel Bridges who are going to create turnovers. And then you go to the East, you have the Bucks, where Giannis, as much people like rag on him, he's able to get in there and cause turnovers. Even a Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. P.J. Tucker. They're able to they're able to do that. And even on the 76ers, you obviously have like a, a Ben Simmons doing that in my – and Tybal as well, you have those guys there. And so you think to the as the Jazz, and this could be like a mini state of the franchise for the Jazz, where do you go from here? So you had the previous year in the bubble, you collapsed in the first round, 3-1. I think this is another collapse because you're up 2-0 and the other team lost. I will still say Kawhi Leonard is the best player on that team. The other team lost their best player. And well, without their best player, when you had a chance to really put your foot down in the series and you lost a pivotal game five at home as well. Like, that's the thing. Like, I look at that. I'm like, and then you had a 25-point lead in a game six to bring it back home where you use that home court advantage. And I think to myself, what can they do? Because I know there has to be some changes coming from the Jazz. Maybe personnel. I don't think I don't think Quinn Snyder's a bad coach. I'll say this. No. I think he's a good no, coach. Well, never I think, Yeah, I think he's that. a very good coach. But I so I hope they don't say, like, Quinn Snyder's the problem because I think he's getting the most out of this Jazz team, like, to do what he's been doing. I think best case scenario for Quinn Snyder is he figures it out or John Shire messes up the Duke job and he goes there in two seasons or three seasons, <laughs> whatever, whatever, however yeah. that works out. But I think here's the thing, Elkin, and this is the thing that we need to remember when we talk about how the, how the jazz all worked out. Um, and you can put, this is, this is a, a previous 
ownership problem more than anything else. And I'm not saying the owners were bad. Don't don't get it twisted. But being tight like they were, when they could have just given Gordon Hayward his money appropriately instead of making him go and get a deal, I don't know what the language was. They said go get a deal, and he was able to get out after three seasons because that's what the uh, with the Hornets offered him, and he left after seven years. Not you didn't get the full eight. If you if he had the full eight, Don Mitchell would have been drafted in theory. They still might have moved up because I believe they moved up before he left. So you would have had Gordon Hayward and Donovan Mitchell, which at that point in time, Gordon Hayward and even now still a solid defender. He, he's not he's not your Kawhi, he's not your Paul George, but he's a solid defender. He's you know solid facilitator. He's, he's just a solid at everything kind of basketball player, right? That's Gordon Hayward's entire deal. If you had a team that was Gobert, Hayward, and Mitchell, and we're talking about Hayward pre ankle injury because Quinn Snyder wasn't going to call up a a back a backdoor alley for Gordon Hayward. They didn't have to, they didn't have to prove how good of an athlete Gordon Hayward was, right? Like they, he was on that team. Um, y'all, you all of a sudden have what you need. If you're going to have a great rim protector, you got to have some guys who can actually utilize the idea of pressuring the ball. And I think Gordon Hayward would help that. I think Donovan Mitchell with the Gordon Hayward as a teammate would have a little bit less pressure on him. He could, he could be a little bit more of that defensive guard prospect that he was also drafted to be. I, I think it all spans from there. Elkin, if Gordon Hayward's still on this team, the, the, the building blocks are completely different. They don't have to overspend on a, a Bojan in free agency, who's a great offensive player, but even though he, he, he tries, a little, little slow foot, not never going to be a turnover-forcing guy, he might just be able to contain people. Joe Ingles, same thing. He's a really smart player. He's going he's gonna to cut angles. He's going to you know be in the right spot offensively. Really good passer. But on defense, he's not going to force turnovers. He's just going to be in the right spot. And what this team needs, and it's really hard to find, they need guys who can be effective offensive players and also help in the turnover game. Because if all you're relying on is protecting the rim, you got to be able to get some turnovers. And that, that starts with ball pressure. And currently, Conley's one of their better defenders. And as a 6-1, get aging guard should not be the case. Yeah, and that's something. And one thing I do want to add, thinking about just Donovan Mitchell. Like, I know Donovan Mitchell had some huge games, huge scoring games. But Ethan, there's something about him that I've noticed, and it's been reoccurring in game. First of all, his shooting percentage is not as high as I want it to be, but there's many times just watching it where he takes some really bad, uncalled for shots. Like it's not even heat checks; it's just a really bad shot. And I see how much he's taking his team out of rhythm, and you kind of see other guys have it going. But Donovan Mitchell's like, I'm gonna go ahead and chuck up a few more shots, and you're like, wait a minute, Donovan, like this guy. It could be Bogdan. Is it Bojan or Bogdan? Bojan, thank you. Like, I think there was a few games, like, he had it going a little bit more, and Donovan's like, now I'm going to take these shots more. Like, even a Jordan Clarkson, I know rarely do they play in combination, but, like, there's some times I'm just like, he needs to rein it back. Like, he's an amazing talent. Like, he's an amazing talent. But that's something I've been, I'm starting to pay more attention to, is how is he going to progress in that? And... Like, with a Conley out, who's their main playmaker? Like, when Conley's out, who's their main playmaker? Like, who's going to create for others? It's a tough one. He played one game in the series and was not very good. But, like, I don't know if that's his fault. Like, you look at this team. They shot 41% from three in the series. And they have a, a rim threat, in theory, um, every every possession with Gobert. Um, they shot 41% from three. Why is Don Mitchell ever taking a contested two? You know what I'm saying? Like, Sure, into shot clock, you got to get something up, fine. 
But when you're shooting 45% from three, Donnie, why are you shooting 44 from the field? That, that's bad shot selection. It is. Because especially with the spacing that they provide, not to mention the vertical spacing that, you know, like a, a Gobert, a Capella, a Bam as a roller can all create. There's no reason for you to take contested mid-range jump shots, especially with the level of athleticism you have. There's no one on this Jazz team, other than I think Terrence Mann, that can fully match you with lateral quickness at this stage. I think Paul George is you know, a, a little bit slower than Don Mitchell and not as explosive off the ground. And Terrence Mann, I think, just a, just just slightly quicker than Paul George that he can a, affect that a little bit more. But he doesn't play as, as much as a Paul George. Like There's no one on this Clippers team that can put you in a box. And he gets past people. So why are you settling? I guess that's the point. If help's coming, you need to find these shooters. These shooters are good. They don't, they don't, they don't force turnovers, but they're good shooters. Yeah, and, and that's kind of just where I have it. And I love Jet, him, though. I love yeah. him. He's, he's so good. And I don't want this one flaw of his game, which is shot selection, to, to ruin what was a really good series for him. Which was like you know, not to mention his ankle injury was like he he was clearly in a lot of pain when he went when he slipped on that wet spot late in Game Six when the game was out of hand anyway, like that that was like to me like the confirmation of man he's 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 been feeling it this whole time because that was that didn't look significant and he was aching man aching. That's something and by the way I had a funny moment while watching that Game Six at one point when there was a Luke Kennard guarding Donovan Mitchell and I'm like. Oh, what could have been for the Pistons? What could have been so close? We have our moments as a Hero Ball podcast, and that was that was one of them that we were, hey, this Donovan Mitchell kid should be going high. And both the, the Heat fan and the Pistons fan were like, I would love for him to play on my team. And, you know, the Pistons fan got Luke Kennard and the Heat got Bam. So I, I don't know who, who – I don't know what worked out best there, but, you know, one, one <laughs> wow. of them worked out okay. But like I said, overall, though, Jazz have a very good team. I expect to be to see the Jazz back. In a similar good playoff running, they they yeah, have. Where are they going? Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna stay here, um, just like with the Nets. I go back to another team that's out. I think the Nets take this off season to recover. If they can get one to get a a healthy Kyrie and a James Harden, they're gonna be very hard to stop. And we we all saw that when those guys were healthy, they're very very hard to stop. I think we're gonna be in for a good future with those two teams, and I think that covers it for these two series that just wrapped up, Ethan. I, I think so as well. I look I look at that Nets team specifically. Uh, Dimwitty likely to opt out, but he clearly wasn't a part of this team anymore by the end of the season. Yeah. That, I that think Monday, he already did opt out. He oh, already did, did he? opt I, out. I, yeah. okay, I, I hadn't seen that yet, but more or less, uh, he, unless they can do a sign-and-trade somehow to like get like a little something back in, in his just number, like th- that that's money you're losing because you're already over the cap. Um, DeAndre Jordan's a trade piece. Didn't play at all in this series, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Jeff Green probably can get him back at the minimum. A lot of these other guys, though, like Bruce Brown, I imagine he's going to get something a little, a little something somewhere else. Like maybe he, maybe you can uh, spend the MLE on him or something to bring him back. But like, uh, he, he's going to get something. The, the, I think that the key factor of this team is what can Nick Claxton develop? Because in, in college, Nick Claxton was basically a point center running, running the Al Horford, the Celtics Al Horford offense. Um, at Georgia with a lot of bad talent. And I thought he was going to be able to be a shooter. I don't know if you need him to be a shooter, but if you could get him to where he's comfortable taking some again, and I think him helping, you know, get just get James Harden and Kyrie's life easier, maybe you can get some Joe Harris move, movement offense, like a kind of like a Bam and, uh, and, and Duncan Robinson. I, I think Nick Claxton, as he's one of the few guys who's still on contract, he's the guy 
to really focus on as can he be a starter level center to just continually make make DeAndre Jordan less important and uh, also he's got to replace some of that Blake Griffin stuff because I don't I think Blake Griffin unless he just wants to be a net it can get a little bit of scratch. I think it's gonna get. Yeah, I was gonna say after seeing this, I think honestly, I was impressed with what Blake Griffin did in this series. I'll say that like he he kind of saw like he's not this. He's obviously not the same Blake Griffin, but he's like I can still be a serviceable guy. Probably get you like close to fifteen five and five every night, and that's not bad. Yeah, so he he was he was more of a a, a ten and five guy in the regular season, and I think in the playoffs he did better. I'm trying to pull his playoff numbers. I think he did a little bit better with the more of a burden on his shoulders because of the. Uh, but the thing is, you don't I don't know if you really want him necessarily doing more. It's just kind of what what happened. But I, I I look at him as he's a he's a he's a good short role like he's basically. Draymond, he's like he's basically like a Draymond Green on offense with a, a better shoot shot and. Horrible at defense, minus he's smart, gets in the right spots. So maybe maybe he's one of those guys that if you pair him, like if he's surrounded by good de- other good defenders, they can try and pick on him. But if, as long as he's making the right rotations, you can get away with it because he is going to be an okay rebounder. Yeah, because it seems like he, whatever team he goes to next, he could go to a team that has championship aspirations. Uh, he probably is going to this stage of his career, or he might try to get paid more. But he's a guy that you're like 15, 20 minutes a game, bring him in. And he'll probably provide you. I don't at this point. I think the Nets were kind of just because of matchups. But I don't think he's a. For me, he's not like a solid, solid starter at this point of his career. No, I so he 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 shouldn't start unless you have a a re- really good defensive team around him. Like I I I don't want him in Miami, but like theoretically, like you have a, a Bam, a Jimmy. Okay, those are two really good forwards that can cover a lot of his mistakes. Um, he's still an okay rim protector, like in terms of positionally. So if Bam gets then swapped out and like covering on the perimeter and then they just keep him out there because, you know, he switches a little too willingly, I think, uh, then you still have a little bit of rim protection um, behind you. That that's the kind of like fit I could see him with. Um, even though I'm, I'm not opposed, but a little bit more, a little bit more optimistic with the cap space, but, um, that that's the kind of role. He 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 can be a small your backup center. Like think about what Dario Saric did for the Suns this year. He can definitely do that. Yeah, he he gave them solid minutes. But I need to go ahead and leave once again. Ethan, it's been a pleasure. It was nice potting with you and catching up on the basketball world. Yes, indeed. And hopefully, shortly after this, you'll hear me and Richard talking about the results of today. back myself Ethan Huffman and joined by Richard Davison Richard took a took part in viewing the uh, New York Liberty versus the Los Angeles Sparks today so he was a little behind and not unavailable for the morning broadcast of the pod but he was you know taking in some live basketball which is obviously highly encouraged to run through the results of the day you know the Phoenix Suns took care of the Clippers 120 to 114 and the ugh, Atlanta Hawks Beat the Sixers, 103-96. Now, Richard, I labored through that last one a little bit. Uh, first off, how was your day? You enjoying yourself? I, it, was, it was great. I'm here in my uh, New York Liberty swag, and uh, after having seen Rebecca Allen get t- two blocks to end the game, and the best game that I saw today, um, uh, to, to be 
fair. I did not catch the second half of the uh, Phoenix Clippers game, so maybe that one was real good. Uh, but it was, uh, it was it was a good day to go and, and, and see live live basketball. It was fun. Absolutely. Now I'm glad you got to do that. Now I I enjoyed Phoenix Clippers a lot. Um, Paul George and Devin Booker both performed really well. Um, Devin Booker, especially in the second half, that third quarter was very electric. Just honestly, he was. Did a little bit of God mode there, and when you got a sweet-looking jump shot, it, it looks especially nice. Now, Richard, we have we have the two results for the game today. Um, wh- which one do you want to touch on first? Um, I, I know we have a a requiem for the Sixers at some point in the pod, so maybe the best place to start is with that first half of Phoenix and uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, so I I was able to watch that on the way back home. I was in the passenger side, so I could get, you know get the game on my phone, fast forward through commercials, and. Do my best there. Obviously, small screens are tough to see everything and, and you know the level of detail that, that you want. But in watching the game, I mean, some things stood out to me. And we're one without Kawhi. I, I just it's tough for me to, to get behind the Clippers. Seeing some of the lineups like they just try to go go small, right? You know, the Clippers small ball switch everything out. The problem is that without Kawhi, you really don't have uh, you know Pat Bev really doesn't make that work. Um, definitely not in the same way Kawhi. And so, like, what you end up seeing is you end up seeing a lot of Aiton slips, a lot of Aiton, um, you know, seals and throw over the top and you just dunk and dunk. And it just, it just seemed like it was a little bit too easy for the, for Phoenix to, to get what they wanted. And then I saw too much Boogie Cousins, which props to him for getting a lot of points scored. But again, it was a lot of points scored on the other end as well. So it's... I just look at the matchups, and, and yeah, Chris Paul's out right now, and we anticipate him coming back before Kawhi does, just with his sprained ACL, and, and who knows the timeline on that. I just, I look and, and, and think about how the Clippers don't have an answer for Aiden, and thinking to myself how Chris Paul is going to only emphasize that more when he comes back, and it, it's, I, I just, it just seems a little too tall of, of a task and I don't know if there are buttons to be pushed um, for the Clippers in this series like there were in, in past series. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there with with uh, DeMarcus Cousins especially. He had 5,000 in this game, played 13 minutes. And if you're factoring in, like, you know, basically a 24-second possession every time, he basically was fouling every other possession. So, you know, add in a couple of joke ones where they had a, a quick three or whatever and, you know, that he probably gave up, he didn't foul there. But yeah, he he he's not the answer. I mean, maybe when Aiton's off the court, you can theoretically like just kind of get some quick you know duck ins. But even then, like Dario Saric is facilitating at a good enough clip, and he's a good enough shooter that it's it's spacing the floor too much, and there's not a lot for him to do in this series. I mean, for Zubak as well, but at least Zubak, um, I think commits the scheme a little bit more, whether it's a drop or you're hedging and recovering. He commits that scheme a little bit better and more consistently than the Marcus Cousins. So if you do have to steal some center minutes, he's the one, in my opinion, I think you could give him all 13 of those minutes um, or maybe just find some maybe find some more minutes for Terrence Mann or some of these other guys who are a little bit more switchy. I mean, I don't really see anyone else down the bench. Like, you're not going to call on Patrick Patterson. That's, that's a body best left mummified. Um, in my personal opinion. I mean, it, this is the tough part of Serge Ibaka being done for the season. Uh, I, I mean, you, you 
you brought him in. He was a big, you know, he was the big catch of the offseason for them. You know, when when that happened, people said, oh, okay, the, the Clippers are for real now, right? You're, you're having that upgrade um, where he can space the floor on the offensive end and he can be a defensive presence. And you, you can see kind of like them going after Boogie, trying to replicate some of that spread big on the offensive end that you would have had in Serge Ibaka. But it's just, again, he just can't. He, he, you're just going to get attacked the whole time, especially if you got him and Luke Kennard out there. You're just, and I'm, I'm sure Reggie Jackson's out there on the floor. Like, it's just far too many uh, holes. And it's, I don't know, it, I just, where, where you know, Ty Luke can, can plug one hole, but, you know, another one's going to open up. And I just, I just don't really see it, you know, barring, you know, injuries have been the great equalizer through this entire uh, postseason. So, you know, barring something else that would hamper the Suns, I don't, I don't see a way that the Clippers really have ha, have anything in the series. No, you look, you look at the minutes that are being vacated by Kawhi Leonard, and you're, you're having to, you're having to plug these holes, and you know it can be Terrence Mann with a big, big jump in his minutes, but these, these, you know, these jumps for uh, Zubac, Cousins, and Kennard, and and Rondo, and from the last series, those, those ones are having a lot less effectiveness. Terrence Mann, I think, has been playing really well with his, uh, with his bevy of minutes. But everyone else, you know, it's 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 a little bit too much for them not to to cover Kawhi's offensive load and the defensive load. No, no one, not even Terrence Mann and in, in all of his wonder can uh, can cover that one up. But I think the one thing I want to mention, since you didn't see the second half, I want to get to that a little bit. It's just the the, the ease of Devin Booker um, as a facilitator in the, the high high screen and roll, um, being able to find his way to mid range jump shots and you know. <laughs> thinking about the guy in the in the later game with Ben Simmons and his lack of willingness to shoot, it, it, it's just it's so ever apparent how how critical it is to have a guy who could really score from all levels. He was three of seven from three. I think all of them were off the dribble or maybe off like a long rebound. One of them was. Um, his mid range game was just was just crazy he was just dribbling into everything around both elbows hitting st- hands you know rear contest hands in his face but like he it was just such a smooth operate like you were always just going to get a late contest and and having that ability to just you know elevate and be balanced it just it was too it was too easy for him and they, they had no answer um th- them being the clippers not to mention you know you got you got legit shooters like Mikel Bridges, uh, Jay Crowder. I mean, all these guys who you know will shoot and can can really burn you if you leave them open. Uh, Torrey Craig even, 2 of 2 in this game. Had a really funny uh, isolation late in the clock where he kind of threw something up because it just he didn't have a pass to Booker. So dribble, 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 and sh- mid-range. No, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it, it's just tough it's because, just, again, you look down the list and, like, the Phoenix Suns, even if, you know, there's an injury to one of the tertiary guys, like, okay, well, Langston Galloway can come in and give some minutes. Javon Carr can come in and give some minutes, right? Whereas you you look and say, well, if anything else were to happen, we got to go to Yogi Ferrell, Daniel Oturu. I mean, he's the reason why you drop down in you're the four seat because there was too much Daniel Oturu in the last, uh, you know, in the last game. And you, you could theoretically play a literal scrub. Jay you Scrub. Play Jay Scrub. Jay Scrub. I can't. Flashbacks to the um, uh, to, to the draft when there was it was rumored that the the Trailblazers were going to draft him in the first round, and, the, and then their second round pick came, and, and they didn't. They didn't. It was Jay Scrub. Classic. Yeah. All right. What, what a time. Um, what one one last thing for me, and 
this is again my De- my Detroit Pistons, you know, uh, vision. I, I just look at Luke Kennard here, um, and he has obvious limitations on the defensive end. Like that's not the, the, no surprise there. But I look at Rajon Rondo getting uh, 22 minutes. And obviously Rondo can be out there and facilitate maybe without Kawhi needing extra ball handler. But I just think that Luke Kennard can do a little more of that as well. And I would rather see uh, Ben like Luke Kennard get more time in those bench units. Whenever I see him out there with Paul George, I, I think that it's a uh, it's basically just wasting him. If you're just going to stash him in the corner, he's going to get attacked on on the defensive end, and, and you're not getting that benefit. I just I look at him being you know two of three from three point range uh in in, you know in in this game but again only playing about seven minutes i think that he can give you a little more offensively if you can strategically you know place those you know if you can strategically go about that um i i just say any any paul george minute that he any minute you've got to rest him because you have to if he's gonna have he's gonna draw the booker defensive assignment for a lot of the night you know then let's go ahead and have the rest of those times even if those are the only minutes that he gets. That's fine, um, but I, I just I just look at that and think to myself, you know what? You've got someone who really can get hot from deep. Um, and let's go ahead and find a little more time to create some more offense. Uh, but you know, I didn't watch the second half. I'm able to watch a little stint where he did make those shots in that's, the first that's, half. So that's the seven minutes, though, Richard. Yeah, that's the, and, that, that, that they all are. Yeah, and I guess again, it's just I, I watch them, then I then I watch Paul George come in, and I so you know he, Paul George can make some shots, and that's fine. It's just we're just stashing them off from the corner. Someone else can do that. I do think with with Luke Kennard specifically, with, with the limitations he does have defensively, that that's a good time to get Zubac out there as well. Um, you know, tell Kennard to really you know force up, don't foul, but you know try to run them off the line, and then you can actually utilize that big body in the paint. Um, I think that's that's the time to deviate from their heavy switch scheme is when you know you're going to have a couple of worse defenders out there. Go ahead and, and play your more conservative regular season style defense, hoping to steal minutes while Paul George um, theoretically gets his rest and can come back. And then you can go back to a, a switch heavy lineup. You know, I I think just having guys guys out there that can kind of keep the floor spaced and, and you know, run guys off the line to Zubak, hopefully protecting the rim a little bit. Maybe you can steal the minutes that way. I, it just it's. It's tough to be a, that much of a heavy switched lineup out there when you don't have Kawhi. Like Kawhi's absence, I mean, you still can put together something, but that's going to either include um, a little, you know, Patrick Beverly and Terrence Mann being out there, so that that hurts the offense uh, a, a bit, or it's going to be Reggie Jackson out there. And while Reggie Jackson has a large weakness, Reggie Jackson is also like someone who you can attack a little bit, and I wouldn't want to get him switched on to Booker just easily so i won't ex- i won't accept this terrence man bungling the offense com- side comment no there. no it's it's not him bungling the offense it's it's knowing what his role is in the offense and having him out there with i mean i guess if you're gonna have you know, a lot of like reggie jackson gives paul george the ability to to do some stuff off ball you you have no off ball paul george if you've got that lineup without reggie jackson so that's fair I know. That, I just, that, that I, was just, again, this, this is not this is not a Florida State like there's no slander for anyone from Florida State. All right, what, I'm making sure that's that's being upheld because that's that's been a long time here about tradition is we stand is, Florida State. This is about to be a Rayshon Gray 
um, podcast here in, in about a month or so. All right. Ooh. <laughs> Anyways, a preview there, kids. A little, 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 little preview. Anyways, um, so uh, there's that game. I we'll see. I, there, not tons of take home for me, other than I don't think that the Clips have um, have the bodies in this series without Kawhi. So um, that's it for me. There. Let's I guess move on to the second game. I did watch this game in its entirety, and. Th- that is the Atlanta Hawks, obviously, uh, putting a you know nail in the coffin in the 76ers, sending them home, and in a game where Trey Young really couldn't buy a shot, it's you couldn't muster you, you know 96 points is is not enough, and there are um, reasons for this, but I, a lot of the focus at least post-game in my group chats on the timeline on Twitter, was a lot of Ben Simmons slander. And some of it justified if we're speaking, um, you know, in about his play in this particular game on the offensive end, like, okay, this is justified. But I think that some of that is getting carried a little bit too far, and I'm sure that we'll go into it. But... Ethan, what was your main takeaway from this game in particular? Uh, just the lack of the Sixers' offensive creativity. They a lot of times it was just throw it to to, to Joel Embiid and hope he made the correct pass. And if you you know peep the turnover numbers, he did not make the correct pass very frequently, or or, or he you know he shot the ball you know averagely. He, he wasn't he wasn't an ultra efficient himself. He was no he was a, he was an efficient self. He wasn't, you know, superstar Joel Embiid, and whether it's, you know, the knee or it's just bad passing, um, all, all those bad habits where he would turn his back to the double kind of came back tonight, and there's a lot of wild errant throws, and I, I, a lot of it, to me, is, is rooted in the fact that the Sixers don't have, they don't run enough little sets, little cute things to get people moving and having um, momentum towards the hoop. It's just a lot of, let me catch it all the way out near the three-point line, so I can work really hard to turn the ball over. And again, Joel Embiid played fine. It's not. It's, it's not an all on Joel Embiid thing. He probably played the best out of everyone in this game, as a and as a whole on the Sixers. But he is the best player on the team, and I'm I'm not going to overlook that when I see eight turnovers from a guy who can see over everyone on the court. Tobias Harris was not very good today. <laughs> He uh, he he blew a lot of layups. Not 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 just a miss. Not just a like. It, it, it at some point in time, it it seemed as though he almost got surprised that he made a layup. Like it was one time where he got far too excited about just making a layup, um, and he he missed a whole lot. Uh, I it's tough because again with the construction of this roster, which you know it's not fair to Daryl Morey you know what he just came in he did the best he could Danny Green goes down uh you know or part midway through the series and uh after Danny Green goes down the Hawks are able to win three out of the next you know four games so that's that's also tough I I just you look and you see that like you mentioned not enough creation and Ben Simmons is miscast as a point guard. I look at NBA.com, see him listed as a point guard. He's not a point guard. He's a center or a power forward. Um, that That's what he is. 
Uh, he's miscast as a point guard. And because of that, you, you know, you're trying to put, it's got to be Seth Curry or Tobias Harris creating, and if Tobias Harris is going to be blowing layups, Seth Curry had a reasonable night. A very, very, I would say a pretty, it wasn't like the last game where he went crazy and they, and they lost, right? It was, it was a good night, but they didn't have the creation necessary. And maybe, you know, Tyrese Maxey grows into that eventually, but you can't count on that next year. And, but it's again, you're trying to play two centers on the floor at the same time. And then when Joel Embiid goes off the floor, you decide, let's go ahead and put another center out there in Dwight Howard. It's the worst seven minutes in one second I, I, I saw in today's game. Dwight Howard minutes. He had one fun block, though. It was a fun block. Promptly, he, he ran the floor, didn't get the pass, and was pouty after that. And then that was, and I think they, I think they, I don't think they converted on on that on that transition attempt, and then then he was sad the rest of the way, and yeah. To further reiterate how how bad of a fit that Dwight Howard and Ben Simmons thing is, Ben Simmons is still a plus one for the game, even with those seven minutes of Dwight Howard. So just saying, Ben Simmons would have had a good game minus Dwight Howard playing. Yeah, and I, I we we I guess I think it's now is as good a time as any. I mean, maybe we should talk about the Hawks first and Kevin Herter. Because Kevin Herter, you know, played a good game and he deserves some praise. He identified a mismatch in Seth Curry not being able to contest his shot properly. Um, honestly, just just kind of got in a rhythm, was able to get uh, Curry some fouls. Like Trey got some of those as well. But Herter honestly just like identified the, the mismatch he was he had, and when you know the shot clock would you know be I'd say sub ten, he said, "All right, no, th- this is now my possession," and he was comfortable doing so. And that's a nice development from Kevin Herter. We, we, we've seen him in the past on some bad Hawks teams have really good offensive games, but not really in the flow of you know winning basketball and winning offense. This was definitely in the flow of a, a game. You know, Bogdan didn't really have it going today. Like someone had to step up, and Kevin Herter was the one. Also, uh, Danilo Gallinari in the second half, just absolutely electric stuff from him. Yeah, I look at at this and I think to myself, this is where Danny Green being out is tough because you know you you need to have that spacing out there with Seth Curry and you need to have him out there. But then he has to play defense on the other end. You've already you, where are you going to put him? Um, who are you going to who who are you going to have him defend? And uh, unfortunately, Kevin Herter said, well. You may try, but you're not defending me. And it was, you know, it was just abuse out there. He he found his way to, you know, he made some difficult shots, but he found his way. He's six foot seven, right? You can rise up over the top. And it's kind of like when Kevin Durant shoots over anybody else. He's got the height and the high release that no one's touching it. No one's bothering him. And that's kind of probably what Kevin Herter felt like. Got a little taste of what it was like to be Kevin Durant. And I... I mean, he he's one of those players where it's you you watch and it's like is is he really doing this? And you know what? He especially picked up the slack with Trey Young not shooting very well, uh, and Bogdan being just you know trying to play with the knee and it's it's not working as well right now. He's a little bit banged up, and um, it it was it was it was impressive. Yeah, it it was, and like I said, I definitely didn't want to overlook the fact that the Hawks did win this game. Um, I'm, I'm going to mention John Collins, too, because John Collins out, was out here early in the season worried about his contract, right? And as he should be, because he gets he gets so underappreciated on this team. And he, he just goes out. He's playing much better defense. 
and he's just grabbing all the rebounds. He's he's you know he's moving his feet. He drew a charge on Ben Simmons. Like I hate it, but he drew a charge on Ben Simmons, and he, he makes all the shots he's taking. Basically, the only thing he missed was a three pointer. One more shout out, huge shout out. Even even though you're looking, you don't really see the box score numbers. Aneka Akungu. Yeah. Going out there and like and ending up being again plus nine. There's there's gonna be some overlap in those Dwight minutes and but he had some overlap into when Clint Capella getting in some foul trouble and Nate McMillan pulling him out even though he only ended up with three and so you really again shouldn't get too worried about the foul trouble early fouls um, but it didn't matter because Akungu came in and did his best to you know provide some resistance and in, in those minutes I'm pretty sure kept kept even uh, I was trying to keep track of that when. Um, because I, I was I was catching up, and so you know, on Twitter, seeing a little bit, talking, seeing how, seeing a, a Kungu's in, Capella's going out because of foul trouble. And like, okay, well, when when a Kungu comes in, what is it? What is it? What is it like? And they were able to keep pace, which, you know, impressive uh, minutes from him. And you and I both really liked him uh, coming out. Um, we it was a tough year for him being you know going starting the year injured and. Capella having the great year that he was having, and great to have him come in and, and give some important minutes in, in a Game 7. Yeah, and he'll be important in the next series too, especially when you're looking at a um, a guy like Brook Lopez who is going to stretch uh, Capella out. Brook Lopez is having a really good shooting series. It might spell more Kongu minutes, a guy who's a little bit more mobile than Capella is. Like We, we could see him have an even more important role. Um, not to mention, Giannis draws a lot of fouls. Capella might be in foul trouble there too, so like it'll be. I think that's a, a good point bringing him up. Obviously, he, he got he was the the victim of the the one Dwight positive play, uh, the block, but no, he, he plays he plays well, and you can tell that he's he he's just aware of where he's supposed to be, and he get he gets, you know, he, he's just around the ball, and that's all you can ask for of a center who is a a, a rookie especially. Yeah, and I I think I think that I mean. Don't want to look ahead too much here because, I mean, maybe we should do a little bit of preview. But I don't know if I put Capella on Lopez. Like, he's probably matched up on Giannis. And you probably have John Collins on, on Lopez just, just for the perimeter defense. And, therefore, it probably means that Kungu is going to have to take some of the Giannis um, defense. Which, it's fun. I like it. I, I would agree with that too, but I also I'm I'm curious to see what John Collins can do. I I know he's not a def- a great defensive player, but like I, I I'm curious to see the strides he's made as a as a collective because I think he did really well in this series as well. If you know if I know Ben Simmons isn't Giannis in terms of aggression, we we know this to be true. But I I look at John Collins. I say there's nothing about his game that can't do what Blake Griffin was out there doing, plus being strong like a little bit stronger a little bit quicker at this stage so i i I am interested to see all three of those big guys and their uh, opportunities to guard Giannis. um you know we've seen we've seen the sample sizes of the pistons sweep and the heat winning and the heat getting swept of all the ways you can do well and do poorly against Giannis. and i say they have three guys who are up to the challenge and we'll see how effective they are even to know garanari can probably draw a charge out there at some point I gotta say, you mentioned the Pistons. Um, uh, there is at least at least one former Piston on each and every team, uh, and I'm rooting for them all. Um, uh, of the of the teams remaining, Tony Snell, fifty fifty one hundred. Coach's decision. Yeah, DMP. It's okay. It's all right. Um, so 
let's um let's let's shift our focus <laughs> let's talk about the sixers um man so they've got some issues and there's no way you can run this back there's no way that you can just say there's no way that daryl Morey is will just say you know what we're just gonna Bring bring back the whole gang and do our best to go into it. They're going to have to make a move, and the obvious move is Ben Simmons. Now, while, again, the timeline is accurately saying, hey, let's go ahead and trade Ben Simmons away, it's also gotten a little bit outlandish. Like, Ben Simmons is still an extremely valuable player. Like, pretending that defense isn't a thing. And again, it's tr- it's they've been trying to to play two centers. He's a role man. He's a cutter, and we've we've been trying to find the right spot for him. And this Philly situation is not it. Ethan, I'd like to just throw out a few Ben Simmons fake trades before we uh, get 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 too deep into the Philly you know situation because they they got to make a move. They got to make a move. All right. Um, the fake trade that I love, a three-teamer, all right? Three-team three trade. This one also kind of banks on the premise that Kyle Lowry wants to go to Philly. So if that were to happen, um, we're going to go ahead and do a, a three-team trade where Kyle Lowry goes to Philadelphia. Denver Nuggets said Michael Porter Jr. to Philly. Aaron Gordon you just traded for him. He goes over to Toronto, and Ben Simmons goes over and fills and takes that role over in Denver. Now, at, and if you're Denver, the you know the rest of those spots just need to be shooters. Just get people who can shoot the ball. Doesn't matter. But if you got Jamal Murray coming back healthy, uh, at some point near the end of next year, probably. You know, that is, that's the guy who is initiating, you know, can initiate things and you can do some, uh, you know, Jamal Murray, Ben Simmons, uh, high ball screens. You can also have Ben Simmons, uh, you know, cutting from the corner or, or in the, or in the dunker spot. Screen, sure, screen for Jokic. And it's, you're going to, Jokic is going to find, you know, Ben Simmons for some crazy dunks. And you can push in transition. I just, I just see obviously again again the other spots need to have like high level shooters which is tough but Simmons also provides the the necessary defensive guy that you were hoping to go out and get in Aaron Gordon but the ability to not just be able to guard those bigs but as we as we see you know him being able to defend Trey Young guess what Trey Young played poorly today yeah guess who was guarding him all right guess who was probably defending him most of the time so like yeah, yeah, he missed some shots. He probably should. He probably doesn't normally miss. But Ben Simmons made, made it difficult on him. I I just view him as being able to protect Jokic in ways that, um, you know, defensively in the in the playoffs. You know, I think it just allows for him to to help the whole situation there a little bit. I don't know. What do you think about that? No, I I, I don't dislike it. Obviously, I think I don't think there's any Nuggets fan, especially given the way the series has gone now. That is okay with moving on from Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon for Ben Simmons. Oh, I know one. I, I texted. Got, got approval. He said send it in. Okay, well that's 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 a fan that you know I I like more now. But I I think I think mass 
I think I think if that trade went through today, or if that trade goes through on draft day, I think you have a lot of very angry Nuggets fans in the national media would have a field day. And for a team like the Nuggets, who are not the you know they're not a team that's a spotlight team, right? I I wonder if that's something that they even want to consider weathering. I know that's a secondary thing, regardless. Uh, the key of that trade, though, and it's it's not so sneaky when you know the Nuggets' history, is all the money's already locked in now. Whereas as it was coming, you would have to pay Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. You now have one salary slot, and you can continue your good drafting and good free agent uh, uh, free agent signings, and and plug everything up. You know, you think about how Malik Beasley was was a, a, a sought after restricted free agent before his off the court stuff. You know. Will Barton thrived after coming over from Portland. Like, Jamal Murray's obviously developed. Jokic has developed. Nurkic was a good draft pick. There's a lot of draft pick equity here in in Denver, and I think you keep trusting that process a little bit. And if if Ben Simmons is available for how good he can be defensively, he can still go out there and help run your offense because he's not bad at that. He just needs to be surrounded by shooters and needs to be willing to dunk the ball because he can. And, and and one of the things where again when, when he's been off ball with Embiid, it's been all right. Embiid's got the ball, and Embiid's gonna do his thing. Whereas if you're playing with Jokic, you're still involved, even though you don't have the ball. And so it you would be a little bit of a retraining constantly. Yeah, a little, a little bit of a retraining mentally. But I, I I I really like that fit. And again, a lot of this is the the Nuggets are not one to go deep into the tax, and they've got some decisions to make with Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. And it's, I just, I worry about their window. Um, and for me, this is a way to help extend that window. Um, I, for Philly, if you, you know, if you're able to get the, um, you know, a, a point guard, uh, the likes of Kyle Lowry, I know he's old, I know he's aging, but he's still very capable and, and can play his role and fit as well. Well, you bring in, um, you know, bring back Danny Green. Uh, you can keep him in there. You don't have to send him out as the matching money for bringing Kyle Lowry back in. That's a big. That's a big part of this. And Michael Porter Jr. allows you to retain the asset. Yeah, you still have some injury issues that you know just go with being Philly, and you're bringing that in. But I, for me, I, I just look in, and you know maybe there's some positional overlap with him and Tobias Harris. Maybe you can. Maybe that allows you to try to look in. Maybe you can find something for Tobias Harris. I don't know what that looks like with on his contract. But at the, at the same time, you now have a whole lot of space for Joel Embiid to operate, and, and that's a big thing. And defensively at the guard spot, having a Kyle Lowry to be next to a Seth Curry or, or next to Danny Green, I think that that's, that, that's help, helpful and gives you flexibility. Um, so that's why I would like it there. And if you're Toronto, if Kyle Lowry's going to leave anyways, then you get yourself a little Aaron Gordon asset. And you get to do a lot of weird defensive stuff, which is fun. Yeah. An OG, an OG uh, Siakam and Aaron Gordon lineup. Oh yeah, and Fred Van Vliet. Certainly, Fred Van Vliet, Obviously, I mean, like there, there's definitely some fun to be had with line shifting. I think another thing to, to not overlook with that theoretical Simmons to Denver trade is, you know, um, currently Jermichael Green's still on the books for next year. Paul Millsap probably, based on the way he he you know went to Denver originally, pro- like seems like he might be willing to stay in Denver for whatever money is available to him there. Those are uh, technical fours, theoretical fives, because they played the fives in series, that actually aren't bad fits with Ben Simmons when Jokic's off the court. So now instead of, you know, 
go into a lineup that has less defensive vers- versatility and rebounding ability because you no longer have that big wide center. You're looking at a guy like Ben Simmons who can up the level of defense in that second unit while also keeping the size, like in boosting the size. Like I, it, it's, it's, it's another good fit with those two theoretical big plus, you know, floor spreaders and Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap. Not to mention Bull Bull. Floor spreading center and Zeke Naji. He's not very tall, but he shot this year a little bit and he did okay. I think the bigger point is uh, if, if theoretically that were to go through, the only thing you got to worry about is your your threes and fours. And Will Barton, um, maybe not good enough catch and shoot guy. Maybe there's a team that would take his uh, take his 14 million or he has a player option. Maybe he'll just bounce. But if, if someone would take his take his money and just bring you some dead eye shooters in return. I would say if you could swap Will Barton for two in that scenario, based on you won't need any facilitating, all you'll need is shooting. I would probably be looking to move on from Barton at that at that stage as well. Maybe maybe the Sixers will be stupid and they'll take they'll send Danny Green out there. Ha ha! There it is. Um, okay, so that was just what I liked. I mean, obviously there's the other candidates um, for a Ben Simmons trade. There there's the cleaner just CJ McCollum type of deal uh, out there where where it just it makes life easier you can put ben simmons in, in, in a better role playing you know with like with dame lillard and obviously tj mccollum just the, the shooting offensively helps a lot defensively you've got some quandaries with you know any lineups with with him and seth curry like that's that's not great you, you saw you, you saw that already Net, nets and hawks are proven you don't have to be good at defense to be good in, in the playoffs defense doesn't matter anymore richard I mean, the Hawks played against two teams that don't have any offense, so it's, like, no offense. So it's, like, let's probably breaks on uh, on making declarative statements about this Hawks run. Um, like, I, they're over their heads, so we'll, we'll, I, I, I expect no some No Cam some Reddish, no DeAndre year. Hunter, my goodness. I That's all fine and dandy. They're over their heads. Um and I, I think I think that we'll find that out very much in this next series. But that's that's we're not we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, there's the Bradley Beal discussions. Um, the only problem is, I feel like I feel like there are better offers out there for Beal. Um, I I just do. Uh, Pick compensation or players. I mean, I would say the uh, a combo of such things. Like, there are probably other deals that I would do if I were them. I don't want Russ-Ben Simmons combo. Well, let me no, just, let me just that, say that. That. Unf- that. That's the unfortunate casualty of it all. <laughs> right, but... The, but Although, but then, Ben but then Simmons could use some Russ mentality. I tell you, Russ, Russ is... An, ugh, you know how I feel. But I would love to take, like, 14% to, to 20% of what Russ has and that I will take bad shots and just jam that into the cerebral cortex of Ben Simmons. I would feel very sorry for whoever that next coach is. Um, just, just gotta say that. Like, just figuring that out would be tough. Um, but, for example, if hey, they don't really have the picks anymore, but if if you are Brandon Ingram and some picks is better. I don't think you'd be. I I don't. I think you're gonna have a hard time convincing anyone that Brandon Ingram's not a better player than Ben Simmons nowadays. But, but I, it's not I, for Ben Simmons. It's for Bradley Beal. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying now. Okay. Yes, that's better. 
getting getting Brandon Ingram and picks for Bradley Beal is is better. Because they they got a, the Pelicans have a surplus of picks and they got to make some moves to to make some to figure some things out. There is there is a hypothetical like I, I just threw it out because I thought that the, that the mental that the mental gymnastics would be really fun to think about of hey let's do just a Brandon Ingram for for Ben Simmons swap and watch Zion and and Ben Simmons just do weird stuff. <laughs> no that that would be fun watching them duel out left handed uh, shoulder checks to the rim. Yeah, um, need 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 fifty percent three point shooters at all three other spots to make that. But um, I hear Tony Snell's available. Tony Snell is well. I who knows could could be NBA champion Tony Snell here in a few weeks. But um, it's yeah. I, I, outside of that, you look around and it's like, well, I mean, what other moves are out there? Uh, I don't think that Daryl Worry is. Um, trading for Kristaps Porzingis, uh, you know, like a, a, a Porzingis Simmons swap. Like, that's not happening. Um, uh, what what other contracts, you know, are out there that make sense for Philly? Outside of the one, I mean, outside of some of the the ones we've mentioned. Could 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 you see something like uh, including Danny Green in this and getting like a Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes? Gross. Hey, I'm I'm just bringing out what like what I see as salary fitters. No, that improves the offense a lot. I I am no. All right. I, the the I'm other the other thing I'm to just be checking. Let's say CJ McCollum's on the board. Like that's that's just better. I agree. That's just better, and for me, that's a if, I, if I'm the Sixers, I've 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 not necessarily won that trade in the way that I want to win that trade. What if, what if Zach Levine lets Chicago, the Chicago Bulls know that he doesn't want to re-sign in Chicago? Now we're talking. That that sounds now we're tasty. Talking. That sounds. I mean, tasty. It, 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 if the Bradley Beal trade again, we we've talked about the oh, if we can't get Beal, let's go get and get Zach Levine if he's gonna be cheaper. Like that's that's the one. Now you, you still do have some issues probably defensively with him and Seth Curry, but that's okay because. Um, the age aspect and the uh, you know the, the leap that he took this year, like I, I'm on board with 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 something like that. Now is Chicago. I don't know. I, I feel like Levine also like wants to get that max. Yeah, I think he wants to secure the bag before he moves anymore. But yeah, I think that that would I think that's would probably be a desire for him. I got one other thought for you. What about like a a Minnesota D'Angelo Russell? I mean, I hate it. But is there is there any reason that Philadelphia writes the wrong of drafting Julio or uh, was it was that the New Orleans no no what pick was that damn now now I've now I've lost my brain but is there any any way that D'Angelo Russell um going to Philadelphia is uh something that would be considered? I just I I don't want the the obviously worst player like I agree for 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 me if. I view that as being similar in, um, like a, a step down, but like a similar situation to like the Denver kind of trade where you've got your your spacing facilitating big, uh, who's not very good defensively, who who needs that uh, defender. You've got your um, you know your your score guy, you know some. Well, the 
Jamal Murray and obviously the step down Anthony Edwards, like, but, but it's, you know, obviously not to the level, but like that, that type of play, like, I, I like that fit in over there. Just what are you going to offer? Like DeAndre Russell is not enough and you don't have your, your draft pick. Don't I mean, un- unless you, you, you don't have, you don't have your pick, um, un- unless, you know, you get real lucky. But in which case, you're you're probably more likely just to say, you know what, let's just draft Cade Cunningham or, you know, whoever, you know, whoever else it is. Uh, yeah, uh, I was just saying, I, I saw someone throw out Kimball Walker. I saw it too. I saw out that that's trash. Brad Stevens would be so sad if if, if Presty turned Kemba Walker into Ben Simmons. Maybe it's a whole league conspiracy. Sam Presti actually has like some kind of cauldron. He's he just is always soaking his assets in to make them look nicer. Uh, he soaking them in first round picks is what he got. Um, now, uh, it's tough. The, we we said Philly can't run this back. They've got to make some move, and it ha- I feel like it has to be Ben Simmons. Yeah, man, it's yeah, it's just. It's just tricky. I, Ben Simmons, I think it's time to just focus 100% on him, the player, and all the beauty and terror that he causes me. So Ben Simmons is someone I really enjoy watching, and I really like want to succeed far more than I should for a Heat fan who theoretically should hate the Sixers, just because they're you know the like they, they kind of have a little little rivalry with the Heat, but like Simmons. Plays the game smart minus one thing. He won't he won't take shots. He he he's always like feeling the game out really well. He's jumping the correct passing lanes. He's not over aggressive. He, he on defense I'm speaking. Like he does so many things correctly. He has a great innate feel for how the game's going. Except for the aspect to insert himself into the action and make plays for himself. Which for a guy who's so physically dominant, has all the skills in the world of being able to dribble through and around people, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand wh- why he can't get that part down. Well, again, we're asking a center to do this as a point guard, and we see where it's difficult, even for Giannis, whose wingspan and length surpassed that of Ben Simmons. And you've got the issue of, oh, someone's going to hack me. And I think a lot of the slander that I see Ben Simmons and Giannis getting have to do with the with their lack of free throws and people think thinking to themselves, oh, you can't make free throws. That's a simple thing. You should be able to do that. Heck, even I, the person sitting on my couch at home, could do better than them. And, and so I think that there's a, that that aspect to it is is you know where people think, oh, well, that guy's just trash. And and so with. With Ben Simmons, it's tough because, again, he is a four or a five. He's not actually one. He's more in the Draymond Green role of things. And we would never really ask Draymond Green to do something like this because that's not who he is, and we know that. The problem is, again, that Ben Simmons has been miscast alongside because Joel Embiid is the better center. And and so he's miscast in this role, whereas if he was a center and someone was feeding him, he would find himself, he would find himself in an opening to... Now this is an obvious, I got to attack this rim. This is obvious that I take this to the hole and, oop, I've drawn help. I can kick out. Like, he's the perfect short short roll guy. But as a point guard, 
It's not really there. And even if, really he just had a, if he was paired with a center like Brook Lopez, where you run the five out to where it doesn't matter that um, they they go under the screen because there's so much space under the rim that he can take hard dribbles still towards the basket and then, you know, figure out the Euro steps and figure out the uh, the, the little post hooks, you know, get them on your hip from there. But with, with Joel, it's, it's never been a perfect fit. It was the right – both of them are the right picks every time, in my opinion, because I, I still think Ben Simmons is a better player than Brandon Ingram. I 100% believe that. And it's not it, – it's just – it's harder to validate when we see the offensive struggles. But – it was still the right pick. 100% stand behind it. It it just frustrates me to no end that he he, he doesn't seem to have that that gear to to, to th- flip it into overdrive. Minus like what one game in Utah where Joel Embiid wasn't there and he was Rudy Gobert's depoy. No thank you. I'm gonna toast him all game. And for some reason it was all clicking that night for him and he decided to be aggressive. But um. Other than that, it just hasn't clicked for him. And it frustrates me because when I play on 2K, I dunk it every time. And that's what I want him to do. There it is with the Sixers. We'll talk about them whenever something else happens. Just real quick at the end, um, in the last little bit before we close off the pod, uh, looking ahead to this Hawks-Bucks matchup. um, For me, I look at this, and on the surface, I think to myself, this is an awful matchup for Atlanta. And uh, the Bucks have the pieces to to make make life difficult. Again, Atlanta's played over their heads. Um, they are here, but I really don't think that they are as good of a team. I don't think that they are a conference finals team, even in the East. Uh, so, but if Atlanta were to win, what would that, what would what would it have to look like? Uh, for for them to actually be able to pull this off, I mean, as I've been looking, it's like, man, is, is would it really require? Like, is there no scenario where if the Bucks stay healthy, that you know, you know, barring injury to Giannis or, or Drew Holiday, like, is there no scenario where Atlanta can win? I found it tough. What do you, what do you think? Do you have anything for me, Ethan? I really think if the Bucks are not appropriately hedging and getting out on Trey Young. Drew Holiday will still have a hard time getting through the set of screens, especially the double drag that the Hawks love to play. If the Bucks aren't, you know, the Sixers figured that play out and neutralized it to a large degree. They would they would switch the first one and hedge the second, and it was it was working really well. Um, but if you don't communicate with that, and especially with Bud and his historically lacking in making uh, coaching adjustments, if that double drag is working, it, they could be down two games real quick. And who knows where the recovery points from? But at the same time, I look and I, I just think to myself that Giannis is that equalizer there because what they did is they, they did that against um, uh, Embiid. They had Embiid being the last guy to force him to be out there to hedge on his knee, and they, you know, it took him all to figure it out. But okay, so let's say you got Brook Lopez there, and I know Brook wants to be in the deepest of drops, right? So I mean, if but if if they. <laughs> I guess I guess if Brook just he might stays do down that. As, as the last guy and they just don't <laughs> change it, uh, I know. Uh, yeah, but I I mean, like I'm just thinking like okay, I know Brook wants to stay back to protect the room, but if Giannis is back there, you can you can go out. You've got the ability to hedge, and even if you look like a little bit of a fool out there while someone else is recovering, then so be it. 
Um, I don't know. I I just you're right. The the the, the breaking point is Bud in his coaching, and that's been the case the whole playoffs. The the way that they've very poorly managed and still somehow can, I know you and Elkin talked about this earlier on, but that could I guess in theory that could be a problem. I just look at the matchups and think to myself, well, Drew Holiday is a perfect foil for someone like Trey Young. Like there's not really a better player to defend a person like him. Um, you've got Giannis on the weak side help, and uh, I mean you can stash him away. I think on you know someone like John Collins, and uh, he he can be there to help. And I mean, is John Collins going to kill you? I don't think so. Uh, you know, mi- mi- he should, but the, the Hawks yeah. don't like to use him to their, their his best offensive capacity. Mi- mi- Middleton. Um, and P- PJ Tucker. Middleton's gonna feast. I yeah, think. I think I think Middleton's gonna feast uh, offensively. He has the ability to at least. You know, PJ Tucker just spent a whole series guarding Kevin Durant. I don't think Kevin Herter's gonna be a problem, right? Uh, you know, it's you've got. It's just I just think that they've got enough guys out. Maybe maybe the absence of Divincenzo to just be that second guy, that second guard defender. Um, maybe that the switch the switch irritated. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that. You know. The Hawks are able to take advantage of that a little bit. I just don't see it enough to, to win four out, of, four out of seven. No, and I agree. And the only trepidation I have is I felt the exact same way about one 76ers franchise. And we have been woefully wrong regarding that. And that makes me very sad. But I will also say, unlike... Well, the Bucks also have a tendency to have bad offense down the stretch. But less so than the less so than the the Sixers, right? It's less. It's less than that. <laughs> I think so. I, I I think so. And they have a couple they, more he, like un, unstoppable forces so here's for the thing. specific Hawks matchups. Who do you who do you hide Trey Young on? Oh, you can't. That and 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 so like up until this point, you've been able to hide Trey Young. Who do you hide him on? I mean. Because even like a cork Maz is just going to shoot over Trey Young, and that's okay. Uh, Seth Curry is going to get Trey Young in the pick and roll. And, but again, you'd rather Seth Curry than Joel Embiid. You'd rather cork Maz than everyone other than Ben Simmons. It's like unlike it's going to be it's going to be Holiday, Lopez, uh, Giannis, obviously Milton, and then even Pat Connaughton, who's been shooting the ball really well. Like or PJ Tucker, who's going to be good from the corner. You can hide Trey Young in the corner, I guess, on PJ Tucker. Like he's not going to post him up. But 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 then, but then he he's he's your weak side help. So and that's like, that's that's, then, that's tough. And then then Trey Young's going to get a bunch of a, a gifts of him just standing like arms down in the corner. Like I I'm doing this, but I can't do anything else. So I I just I look and I think to myself, there's really not a place to hide him and and. and Again, the the question that we've had about Trey Young since the beginning. I went back and listened to our to our pre-draft Trey Young pod, uh, and we had some wild takes in there on a few people. So like it just it just yeah, it's a little bit wild there. But like the questions we talked about with Trey Young are well, in a playoff matchup when when it's different when you start get hunt when you can get hundred on defense. What's that gonna, what's that going to look like? But the first two teams that they faced haven't really had the opportunity or the player type to do that well now we got Middleton now we got Drew Holiday again these aren't the like if Kyrie Irving or or James Harden right it's, it's not, not that it's not even level. the top tier of that it's level. not even that's that level tough. but it's I think it's enough that 
this could be the series where it starts to look a little bit difficult. So I agree, and I hope it is because I do. I don't hate watching Trey Young when he's not doing the foul drawing stuff. I hate looking at him always, but um, he's not loathsome when he's not foul drawing, and. There's a little bit less of that because Ben Simmons just played good defense on him. And so if Drew Holiday is the same, it should be a fun series to watch at least. All right. Well, I think I think that we're basically done for today. I just got to say, we're probably you're probably going to hear from us again uh, as early as Tuesday because that's the draft lottery. And something is going to impact me one way or the other. And you know what? You should be around to hear it and see it. So. Well, I, I, there's going to be a, at least a little something, I, I, I predict, on um, on Tuesday. Drink, drink the tears or whatever rhymes with it. <laughs>